Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now-ish. Hey, what's good? My name is Pendarvis Harshaw. Welcome to Right Nowish. Thank you for tuning in. A little about me. I like reading, writing, and chill vibes. In an effort to ensure the vibes are as chill as can be, I listen to a lot of lo-fi beats. They're good background music, real cerebral stuff. They allow the mind to wander without having a whole bunch of lyrics being thrown at you. I'm not the only one on this wave. There's playlists on every platform dedicated to boom bap hip hop instrumentals that toe the line of jazz. And digging through these lists, I kept seeing the name Tommy Guerrero pop up. And then one day, I stopped by a friend's office and saw his name again, this time on a vinyl record. I took it out of the sleeve and put the needle on the album. While I listened, I also grabbed my phone and looked him up. No way this could be the same Tommy Guerrero who It is. Yeah, that Tommy, the world-renowned skateboarder who turned pro as a teenager. He was an original member of the Bones Brigade, a nationwide skate crew put together by the Powell Peralta Skateboard Company. While he was there, he skated alongside Rodney Mullen and Tony Hawk, amongst others. Tommy is a master of the art of street skating. He's a San Francisco legend, and evidently, he's a really, really dope musician talk about all of that and more right after this. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, what's up? I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Cool. Um, if we could start by... Introducing yourself, your name, your age, where are you from? My age? Yeah. <clears throat> say a range. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, a range. A, a range of from old to older. Uh, my name is Tommy Guerrero. I'm from San Francisco, California, USA, planet Earth. At the moment, I am 57 years old. <laughs> a point of clarification, there's a yes. difference between like bombing down a hill yeah. and uh, kind of weaving. Yeah. 
totally. how, how would you describe? I always like to access the driveways and the, and the curbs and the stairs and kind of hit them as they were obstacles, you know, um, instead of just flying down the middle of the street, which both is fun. But for me, uh, all, all of the, you know, excitement was in how many different elements could you hit on the way down a hill and what could you do on those objects? You know, that was that was my fun. Turning the geography of the street into your obstacle course. Yeah, com completely. Using the uh, natural environment and just sort of transcending what its intentional purpose was, is uh, was super fun. And, and, you know, challenging, of course. Yeah. I think it's all of it. Brings back memories of me, like on a BMX and using the lip of a parking lot. Uh, sorry, the parking, was that driveway? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's exactly, that was, that was our ramps. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay, I'm familiar. Um, if the city's streets were a person, how would you describe them? That's a hard, hard question. That's interesting. Rough, uh, worldly, also a bit of anti-authority. That's some of the things that come to mind. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that in San Francisco as well. It just had a different, a really different sort of uh, energy to it than than most cities that I've been to had. Yeah, it's yeah. changed quite a bit. Keyword. Yeah. In the summer of uh, 2023, there was an incident at the annual Hill Bomb Day where mm. 117 young people, including skateboarders and onlookers, were arrested uh, near Dolores Park. Um, skating in urban areas has always been heavily policed. I'm wondering if anything has changed now, especially given the change in demographics in the city when it comes to policing. It actually seems worse. You know, we used to get tickets all the time and harassed for skating by cops, but it seems like now it's it's so strange. It seems like it's perceived as this huge threat. And I understand for the safety of everyone, you know, that they, they got to do what they got to do to some degree. But whenever they show up in force and in full uh, uniform and with all of their batons and, and weapons, they just escalate it into a violent situation. It's silly. You know, you have half those people out there are probably under 18. You know, they're just kids lashing out, having fun, and they have to be approached that way, you know, and there has to be some understanding, but there's also the fact that, you know, then it, the skaters get out of hand too. You know, there's a lot of energy. You put all that energy in one space, you know, it's going to explode. Is there a way to have a happy medium to have like some- There is. A presence, but not be over authoritative? Yeah, totally. I think, I think if it were- uh, sort of um, sanctioned uh, by the city and their presence is there, but not felt necessarily. Um, I think I think there would be a definite happy medium compromise between skaters, between the, you know, law enforcement and, you know, and the city itself. And, you know, the thing is you could put as many skate parks you want throughout the city. It's not going to stop people from street skating. It's just, it's not going to. Yeah. yeah it's not going to happen. With it being theoretically sanctioned by the city, wouldn't it lose some of its edge? It would, um, but I think it could even become a um, an actual real event, though. You know, yeah. You know, helmets would probably be introduced for people under eighteen, and which be just smart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's sketchy. They're flying. They're going so fast, and people step out into the street. You know, and because of because of all the excitement, they want to be part of it. Whatever it is, and you see people get hit, and then you know the skaters are going to just take the brunt of that because they're doing 
35, 40 miles an hour. There's so many parallels. I was thinking about sideshows when you were yeah, talking same, about it. Yeah, same thing. So growing up watching sideshows, I'm like, dang, these drivers should be sanctioned somewhere. And also professional drivers, stunt drivers in Hollywood. Right. It could start with the city recognizing them and then it loses edge and maybe people will lose their interest for sure. You run the possibility of it being ending up being branded yeah. and then, you know, sponsors and all that nonsense. And you're like, ugh. And it becomes a commodity. The sideshow presented by a tech company. Yeah, it, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get to music, um, you still skate? When I can. My knees are really fucked, um, kind of bone on bone, like there's no cartilage. And, and so I, it's uh, difficult. When you do skate, what spots do you hit? Actually, mostly uh, I'll go to parks now because it's easy on the body because uh, street skating hurts. Like pushing, hitting curbs, oh man, it's so much harder on the body because like my right Achilles has been jacked for about 20 years. So sometimes it'll get inflamed to the point of like, a, you know, I, it's hard to walk and it's my pushing foot. So that makes it real difficult. So <laughs> it just depends, um, you know, on, on the day, the body, the mood, the body's in. But, but I, so I like to go to the parks because you just kind of roll over everything. You know, there's nothing um, abrupt. There's nothing harsh about it. And nowadays it's just like kick, push, move, paper. Once in a while, yeah, I throw in an ollie. That's, that's the one thing that's still really fun. Try to, try to crack an ollie and see if you can feel that weightlessness. When you're out, beautiful. Do, uh, do folks recognize you? If they're like hardcore skaters, they know who I am. But if they're young and just kind of getting in it, they just like, who's this old guy? <laughs> I'm old and broken. So, you know, don't expect anything if you see me at the park. We can talk skating all day. Yeah, yeah. I'm here to talk music as well. Cool. Um, love a, a number of your projects. Um, what I found really fascinating is the fact that you not only are a bassist, you play all instruments. Yeah, yeah, pretty much everything on my records, depending on the records, you know. Um, my last record that I just dropped, Amber of Memory, I played everything on it. Um, and some of the stuff I use drum machines, you know, like 70s drum machines, like vintage stuff. I play, you know, and the thing is, I know what I'm capable of. So um, I don't try to stretch out of those knowledge base that I have as, as well as um, skill. So I work with the tools that I know I have um to create something that i think is you know when it gets to a point you're like okay this is i like this this is good and it has a good feel about it and has a, and the emotional content is there that's the most important so it's not as though i'm an accomplished anything you know i could sit on drums and i could play a beat i could play my bass you know i grew up playing bass so i'm more of a bass player but guitar happened out of necessity when i was creating all these all these beats for uh these guys who were rappers and this is early 90s and then it, nothing worked out. So I had all these songs and beats, but I needed some type of voice. And so the guitar became the voice. And that's kind of how it all kind of started. The, the guitar being the voice, what is it saying? It's uh, my way of trying to connect with people and trying to uh, kind of express myself in a way without words because words always fail. Um, so I think there's an emotional component that people you know, gravitate to because they can feel that there's an emotional happening in the music. And so I think, <laughs> I think I'm also trying to figure out what I'm trying to say as well. Um, so yeah, it's still, it's a process. You say that as if you're not nice with words. I mean, like great with speech, but also the names of your songs are uh, poetic. <laughs> like, where does that come from? Like everything, the way I record, I just, I'm in the moment I start recording and what you hear, 
I don't do demos. I don't do scratch tracks. I don't do anything. I just go with what I'm doing in the moment. And that's what you end up hearing on the records. Your latest work, uh, Amber of Memory, yeah. it seems a little more somber. I, I listened to it while taking a hike up in Joaquin Miller. Oh, cool. And I was like, I need to get away. I need to release. And I listened. I was like, boy, this is a little sad. I need to step back yeah. a little bit from this. What, what was going on yeah. with that project? <laughs> it's funny that you say that. It's because uh, it was uh, recorded, written and recorded during the pandemic. It started mid-2020. And I ended up uh, in the beginning of 2021. And I sat on the record. I didn't, you know, obviously because I just released it. So I sat on it for couple years because I wasn't quite sure because it, it's not my usual MO you know where I'm, I gravitate more towards like the funk soul jazz surf ethio jazz you know that world like it's like music from the earth is what I kind of think of it as and then I on on this stuff though I, I gravitate I went more towards um stuff that like kind of 80s you know it feel I actually set out, I'm like, I want to make something kind of beautiful. Because uh, we are in these times, there's so much ugly. I want to try to counter that, what's happening right now. So as I started recording, I did start to realize that there was so much sadness <laughs> in the music. It's like, oh, wow. And that was another reason why I sat on it, because I was you know, trying to make this sort of joyful, beautiful, a little more um, sort of ear candy, you know, um, and it just is there's so much sadness in it and, and melancholy that I was like, oh, wow. I had a, I had, I had a tar hard time with myself kind of struggling with releasing it. And my friends were like, you got to release it, man. And I was like, yeah, I know. And then now I'm, I'm way more comfortable with it. Yeah, and it's and again, it's a it's a, a bit of a step outside of my sort of normal mode. Backtracking in time a little bit. All right, uh, there's a story about your start in music independently, mm. and how it was supported by your work as a skateboarder. Bring me back to your first check as a professional skateboarder. Okay, so I got my first check. Uh, I think I was 19. And I moved out of my mom's home. It was the first thing I did. I was like, okay, I'm not going to be a burden on my mom anymore now that I, you know, have a job. Uh, and so I moved out, moved in with a friend, slept on the floor, and I bought um, a four track and a drum machine <laughs> with my first paycheck. For whatever reason, I've always had this need, this necessity to make music, whether it was for con consumption or not. So yeah, I bought a four track, my drum machine, I had my bass, my guitar, and I started making tons of recordings. I have four track cassette tapes that should never see the light of day. <laughs> That's beautiful that you said it's, it's out of a need, like a spiritual need and not out of wanting to be popular. I think actually the reason why I make music, I think I've come to the conclusion is just it's therapy. Like skateboarding wasn't now, especially since I can't skate much that, you know, that really would kind of kept me sane. Um, now it's music, you know, it's like, it's definitely therapy. You're, you created this production house too good, um, where you self-release your own uh, projects yeah. and fulfill a need to stay creative. As you said before, um, can you talk about how you're staying afloat financially through your music? Too Good started out of necessity because, uh, I was at a point in time when streaming really hit and 
it was before vinyl had its comeback. I just thought like, wow, what am I going to do um, musically? I'm always going to create. I'm always going to make music. But am I going to release music? Like what what is the reason that I release music? And I wasn't sure until I start getting, you know, a lot of people uh, reaching out to me and saying, hey, I really dig what you do. It really, you know, it's helped me out through this or that these times. And and it's like, oh, wow. So now I'm I'm it's like a finding a reason to to do what I do because there's so many people out there who not you know dig it but also are really positively affected by it and that's super that's humbling you know you're like oh shit this is a new weight kind of to carry in some sense because you have these people uh who say you know all these amazing things about it and I don't know it's it just it's it's uh it makes it um makes it harder sometimes you know, because now you have pressure on you. It's like this sort of this burden of love, <laughs> which is, you know, it's, it's heavy, yeah. you know, to accept that all that all those type of accolades and all that type of love. It's hard, you know. And so so anyway, two gig came about because I didn't know what else to do. And I don't know anyone in the music industry. And so I wasn't going to go shop my records and stuff like that. I had, a, you know, my brief stint on Moax, which was great early on. And, and uh, they heard my music through a skate video that I had made. And that's how that started with Moax. And so when they became defunct, I was like, now what do I do? So then I had a record out on Quantum and then Quantum went under. And I was like, okay, because that was a local Bay Area crew. And I was really good friends with some people that worked there. And I was like, oh, these are good people, good crew. This will be a perfect fit. And then that went under I mean, because their distrib distribution went under. And I was like, fuck. So then I was like, okay, back to DIY, right? Just like everything I've always done. Record everything yourself, make everything yourself. Now you got to put it all out too. So it's it's actually my lawyer is my partner in it. And he's just, he's um, super helpful. And it's just me and him. And it's not, it's really nothing. <laughs> it's just an imprint to kind of uh, the vehicle for my music. I don't really make any money off touring. Maybe there's some merch to be happening, but the cost of touring is so expensive, it's insane because it is so expensive to travel. You know, you have four people in a band, the cost is astronomical. And then you have your team, team you know, your TM, you have your van costs, you have your back in line costs, you have gas, hotels, food. The way I make money is licensing. That's the best, that's the best way. If you, for film, you know, it's have stuff on Netflix and, you know, all, all the streaming streaming channels and uh that that and through you know skate skate companies um thrasher etc you know licensing that's the only way you can really make any money in in music for me anyway your father that's that is true what surprised you most about fatherhood how difficult it is <laughs> uh, uh you know it's it's extremely difficult to raise a human that's so hard because you question yourself all the time of if you're doing the right thing it's it's really difficult but but the re rewards are you know you have this little human that's so beautiful and you get to relive these experiences through their through their experiences through their eyes through their moments where they're where they're having these first moments it helps to remind you that you're alive and the things around you and the beauty of the things around you and the and the magic of the things around you it's because we all forget it we get old and we get jaded and 
Like, ah, I've seen it a million times, you know? And so, you know, that's a, just one of the beautiful parts of when, you know, being a parent. And he's 19 now, so he's his own own dude. And he's a really he's a really good, thoughtful person. So I'm grateful for that. Early on, did you have any difficulty introducing him to your passions? I did. I never pushed it on him. I asked him if he wanted to learn to skate a couple different times. Like, no, I don't want to, you know, when he's really young. But I also, I don't, I'm not like, I don't want him to be a mini me. I want him to have his own identity, his own, you know, his own personality, find his own path. Um, he, he gravitated towards uh, scootering and he has his whole scoot, scooter crew, like in, in the city and in the East Bay. Um, they were just last night, they were out skating, they were riding at uh, the new uh, UN Plaza Park. And they were at Soma and some other spot too. So, you know, he, same thing as, you know, just go hit the streets with your friends. It's so, it's so fun. They do all the tricks skaters do in the sense, you know, a lot of the same stuff, you know, rails and bomb hills and jump off huge amounts of stairs and all the crazy tricks. It's like, it's akin to like a BMX freestyle BMX. Get a set of wheels and ride. Exactly. And catch air. That's the thing. It's like every young person, every kid, you know, just, oh, I want to catch air. They, that feeling. And so you chase it, you know, you have that feeling and it's so fleeting. You chase that feeling for, I don't know, I've been chasing it for 49 years or something. <laughs> Do you have any wisdom that you can pass on to the next generation of creatives who bear the culture of the Bay Area? One thing that I say is usually just do what you love and do it as much as you can. Because you have, you know, most people haven't found what it is, the reason why they exist. They haven't found that, that, uh, that thing that gets them through the day of, you know, just every day, just life, you know, all the hardships and ups and downs and trials and tribulations that we all go through. And, you know, a lot of people are in situations where they work a nine to five and it may not be what they want to be doing. So I just say, if try to find that time, whatever it is you love after work, after school, whatever it is, do it as much as you can. I have come to the conclusion that life doesn't have any meaning. Like you give life meaning. We don't, why are we here? We didn't ask to be here. None of us did. So you don't find why you're here, you define why you're here. That's right. And that comes through constant work. That's right. I'm learning here. Yeah. <laughs> that lesson was for me. Whether it's right or wrong, left or right, I don't know, but it's just what I found. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. That's Tommy Guerrero, folks, the skateboarder, the musician, the father, and philosopher. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing your insight with us. For all of you tuned in out there, I implore you to go and listen to some of Tommy's work. He can be found on all streaming platforms, and he's pretty active on social media as well. Check him out. His IG is Tommy Guerrero. That's all one word. T-O-M-M-Y-G-U-E-R-R-E-R-O. On there, you'll find some fly archival shots of Tommy catching air back in the day, as well as information on upcoming musical performances. Speaking of, he has a set of shows on February 24th and 25th as a part of the Noise Pop Music Festival in Frisco. More info can be found at noisepop.com. This episode was hosted by me, Pindarvis Harshaw. It was produced by Marisol Medina Cadena. Chris Hamburg is our editor. Christopher Beale is our engineer. And Cherie Bishop is the Right Nowish intern. Additional support provided by Jen Chin, Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, 
Or Der's son and Holly Kearney. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Until next time, peace. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.